0: up, guys. I'm Brandy Kelly, and you're listening to the Sober Bartender Podcast, the show where we recover not just from alcohol and addiction, but from life. Okay, everybody, I would like to welcome Christina Driscoll. Welcome, Christina. Hi, Brandy. Hello. So recently, I was actually a guest on Christina's She's Brave podcast, and it was an amazing interview. We have a Killer connection. And so today, Christina's going to tell us about her and her experience. So, Christina, just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much, Brandy. That was an amazing interview. I'm getting amazing feedback about that. I think that you and I look at the world very similarly. I have never had an addiction to alcohol. But I've had some hard times in my life, and I think that's why this is great that we're connecting today, that we're going to talk about how to get through some of those really hard times. And I've lived a very unconventional life. And really, let's just go back pretty far. Mm -hmm. I married my college sweetheart, and he was a very, very controlling kind of person. So I actually got out of that marriage within a year and a half. And that for the first time in my life, I entered therapy. I didn't really know what that was going to be about or like. And the therapist really helped me understand why I picked the person that I picked, and I realized how beneficial therapy was. And it it set me off on a journey of spiritual development. I mean, there I think I was also searching spiritually, like raised Lutheran, but not not necessarily. Lutheran now, um, but, you know, always just wanting to find my own path to God. So I spent the next five years really digging deep, reading a lot of great books, a lot of great authors like Marianne Williamson, you know, Wayne Dyer. And I think that I came out from that. I was a financial advisor. And I think that what happened was I was in my early 30s. I'd worked a lot on myself And I think that it had changed me into a much better person for lack of a better word, or you could say high, high vibration. You can call it whatever you want, but I went on a hike and the hike leader was my future husband. Um, Literally he was, he was uh, leading the hike on Mount Rainier, huge. Well, yeah, you lived in Seattle. So, and I got out of the car and our eyes like locked. There was this instant connection, just unbelievable. Like, and it just, I could just even feel it in my body. There were 12 of us. So I had, I did have to elbow my way through the crowd to get right behind him during the hike. And he was actually kind of hard to keep up with. He was super, super fit. And that that's how we met. And it was unconventional from the very beginning, Brandy, because he asked me out for dinner. Four hours flew by. You know how that goes? Like you, yeah. you meet somebody, you connect. You and I have that kind of connection where like an hour or two will just go by in the blink of an eye. Well, mm-hmm. we had, you know, a four hour dinner and I just was like, where, where did the time go? Like I just, we felt like we'd known each other forever and we, we're both financial advisors. We were married within six months. Unconventional part is: turns out he was twenty-four years older than me. Wow! And that's obviously a really big difference. Even though I couldn't keep up with him on the trail, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he was really fit. But I think that that was the beginning of me, because I'd done all that spiritual growth and development and work on myself. I I was very in tune with who who I am as a person. And I was able to say, this is my person. It might be a little bit out of the box. Oh, and by the way, he was like one or two inches shorter than me. So there you go too. And I was, I, know, I'm at five, five, seven, he was about five, 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 six. And it just, we just, knew it was right for us. So, and we didn't care. We didn't worry about what other people thought. And I do think that people sense that because, you know, we were married for 22 years and before he passed away two years ago and no one ever said, wow that's a really big age difference like what what are you doing with him or what you know what no no one ever and I think it's because we owned it like we we were sure of our decision we were authentic in our decision mm-hmm. and people never when you're when you can live from that place of authenticity people don't question you they don't question your
0: decisions I totally agree yeah they see it they feel it. And maybe you're also in a place where you're just unaware of it because you're not worrying about what other people are thinking because you are totally in line with what you're doing.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting point that that definitely could be true. There might have been people giving each other looks, but. I think we just were not part of that. So it was not part of our reality. I don't know. Maybe that's a really great point, Brandy. So, you know, we got married and we really wanted children. He had never been married, never had kids, and he knew what he was looking for. And it took him a long time to find me, but he knew when he found me. Mm -hmm. So we had to go through infertility and that's kind of a whole nother story, which I don't Absolutely. think we're going to get into today. But four years later, we we had a son and the next, so we had an amazing first four years together and I'm really actually really grateful. It's funny how you look back in life and you think, you know, at the time, like the infertility was super hard, but we also had those four amazing years of just the two of us, which I think was really a gift and a blessing. Mm-hmm. with what came later so our son was born and the next five years were also amazing and we were living in a small town in oregon we weren't uh, close to any family really at the time but i had an amazing group of friends and it, life was good until one day my husband and i were out on a date night and looking at the menu we put our menus down and he looked across the table at me and he said did we order yet and I thought my heart just kind of sunk. Like I knew, um, his mother had actually passed away from early onset Alzheimer's disease. And I knew that, that, uh, that process was starting for him. And it it started like earlier in him than anyone in his family before. So that was really, really hard, really hard to deal with. So it was a very very scary time of my life.
0: I can only imagine. So, right away, you just went right to that thought of something's wrong. Because I used to ask that question, but I was intoxicated. But that was not your lifestyle. So very much, you yeah. Like,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. In fact, my yeah, it's interesting. Here we are on the the sober bartender, and my husband actually didn't drink alcohol. He didn't like the the taste of it. So that was definitely not part of the equation at all. Yeah. But, you know, he just began to, he would repeat questions and things like that. And really my first reaction, I think was a bit of a defense mechanism, which was to kind of just be in denial to some extent. So, you know, and I I think that's okay. Like, I think there's times in our life where sometimes we need more time to process something and, and denial sometimes, and with Alzheimer's, 20 years ago, there were no, really, not really medications or treatments that worked. Even today, I'm not, it's very uncertain whether the medications that they put you on for Alzheimer's disease actually work or not. So, um, you know, about six months later, we got the formal diagnosis and, you know, it began to sink in and it, it was, I was completely terrified, Brandy. Like I literally... I lost a ton of weight cause I couldn't eat. Mm-hmm. I couldn't sleep. I I was just kind of tail spinning into something. And literally, you know, when you're not sleeping, you can't really think clearly either. And my generation, I'm 54, you know, there, there's, there was still a lot of stigma around asking for help with, with mental health issues. And so, but you know, at one point I just was like, I have to get help. And I literally walked into the emergency room. Yeah. I walked into the emergency room and I was hoping uh one of my friends, her husband was an ER doctor and he, I was thinking, Oh, I hope he's not, he's not working today. Cause I don't want to, I'm so embarrassed to even be here, but I need some kind of help that I do know. And he was there so i was i was in a room with a curtain and you know he popped his head in around and he just said i want to say to you you know obviously i can't treat you because i know you on a personal level but he said i'm really really glad that you're here because what you're going through is so incredibly hard and stressful that in some ways i'd be surprised if you could do this without getting some kind of help and he said it's okay like it's okay the reaction that you're having is actually quite normal and you need help and that's okay. And I, it was like the best thing because that's why I always say, when I tell my story, like I didn't start out brave, like my podcast is called she's brave. Ha ha ha. (laughs) I was not a brave girl.
0: (laughs) No, You didn't think you were brave.
1: I didn't think I was brave, but I think it's courage is a muscle that gets developed. And as, as a mother, I I also was like, I have to be able to function to take care of my child. And for me, like, I know some people would have just left the marriage and said, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this Alzheimer's journey. I'm just going to get a divorce, whatever. I'm going to move on. And that wasn't an option for me either. It just didn't, I, that's just not me. So I was like, I have to get through this journey. I need to be present for my son. So that means in this case, getting some medical help from medical doctors Going to therapy. Like that that's what I had to do. And that I just took it like one brave step at a time. Like it was just a tiny bit of courage. Like it started out with that tiny whisper of I'll try again tomorrow. Yeah. Like literally at the end of the day. I'll get through the I'll get through tomorrow. That's it. Like that's all I can think about. And then I think I just over the years was able to get stronger and more courageous as the journey went on. But I always like to tell people that I didn't start out that way. It it, it really wasn't. And, you know, if I can do it, you can do it too.
0: Well, your your courage was born out of desperation, similar to my Um, own, you know, because you could no longer go on just doing things the way that you were doing them. So you had to ask for help. So you don't see that as brave. And you and I talked about previously that shame in asking for help, and yeah. the thing that you were afraid of, like the fr- the doctor that was there. You were afraid of that, and that is one of your greatest, like memories from that time. One of your biggest assets, right, was somebody go right. looking at you and going, "You're exactly where you need to be. Like it makes sense that yeah. you need help. Thank you for asking for help."
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. Isn't that funny how, you know, the thing that we're the most afraid of sometimes is the thing that helps us the most, like so interesting, right?
0: It is. I think um, we have built in defense mechanisms like denial and like fear of the unknown. I always, I've learned that like the ego is, is not always the worst thing, but it's trying to keep us safe. So, like, what we think we know is our comfort zone. But what we now know is that stepping outside of that, you know, and asking for help or doing something big or making the next move, like, that's where we get, like, the growth and the life. And Yeah. So, you went to therapy. You took it one day at a time. And Mm -hmm. how long did that, how long after his diagnosis did that go on?
1: I would say... A couple of years, I felt like I was living day to day, one day at a time. Um, I did make some big changes because I think if you are living one day at a time, you are searching for a better scenario. So one thing that did eventually happen is I asked my husband, husband if we could move to a small town called Bellingham right near the Canadian border because all of my immediate family was right across the border in Canada. And so they were literally a 45 minute drive away and he agreed to that. So we moved to this little town and that way I could feel I could get the support that I needed from my family. And it was absolutely wonderful. We, we moved into a cul-de-sac and there were 14 children and my son was, was I think five or six at the time where he's six, I guess. And it, it just was we were there for about three years and I look back on my son's childhood as those were some of my favorite years because I was the house where the kids could come over and build forts and fool around. And we had, you know, the trampoline, the, uh, Fire pit, you know, we had kids. I'd I'd get them to go into the woods. We had woods behind the house. They would just be a pack of fourteen kids roaming around in the woods, building forts, catching rabbits, catching frogs, catching tadpoles in the pond. You know, just doing a bunch of stuff. And um, but my but my husband was never able to really adapt to that environment because by the time we moved there, he wasn't able to make friends of his own and he was quite lonely and so he began to ask and say i want to be closer i want to be with my people cuz he was all, you know he was having trouble with speech by then and i knew that that meant his family he was the oldest of four large very close family most of them were in a suburb of seattle so mm-hmm. you know he he moved for me to bellingham and then even though it was so hard for me to leave bellingham We moved from Bellingham to a suburb of Seattle to be really close to his friends and family or his family. And he was right. They were amazing. They were a hundred percent, you know, supportive. They visited him all the time. All these, you know, siblings and in-laws and nieces and nephews. And it was really, really good for him. But my, my son was really unhappy there. It's a very tech culture. Most people work for Amazon or Microsoft and you know, they're, they're amazing people. Okay. These people, my, my neighbors were amazing human beings. For example, my next door neighbor, he grew up in a tiny town in China. He grew up on a hut with a dirt floor, but he was the smartest kid in the village. So he got sent to the best middle school, you know, and then he was, he had to compete and he was the smartest kid there. So, you know, it went on until he got a PhD in America And he had a great job at Microsoft, but someone like that, you know, he had a son the same age as my son and someone like that, their mindset is very much of like, you have to be the top of your class. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, 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 they don't know any different other than in order to succeed, you need to be the top of your class. So this was a very scholastically challenging environment to be in Mm -hmm. very, very challenging. And a lot of the kids were just uh, kind of by the time they reached their teens, they were kind of burning out. They were having mental health issues. And so, you know, after being there for a few years, my son came to me, he was 14, I think he was in eighth grade, finishing up eighth grade and he was just begging me to go back to Oregon, which was really his true home where people knew him from the time he was a baby. And he loved it there because we were always going back to visit. And he had four suicidal friends that he was trying to help in this suburb of Seattle, because, you know, by the time he was six years old, he was, my husband didn't know how to use the microwave. He couldn't remember. So my son would just say, Hey dad, you know, let me help you dad. Here you go. Here's here's your lunch, you know. And kids are great. Like they just kind of go along with with all of it for for the most part. I mean, there's certain parts where he started asking more questions, but I learned to let him ask the questions when he was ready. But long story short, I just didn't know what to do, Brandy. I was and and this is a good part of the story because, you know, this first part of the story I talk about reaching out to the medical community for help. But this time I reached out for help in a totally different way. I went to my bedroom that night and I prayed harder than I've ever prayed in my life. And I I, I would say I didn't even ask. I demanded. I demanded God to give me an answer because I said, I, I'm feeling like he really needs to go to high school six hours away from Seattle. I can't move my husband because if I move him, he'll have He'll be away from all of his family, except for me. And that's not fair to anybody. It's not fair to him, his family, or me. So what do I do? You know, I I felt like my son was not doing well in this environment. He was not doing well and that he would thrive back in, in this little town in Oregon. And I, I said, I said, God, I need, I need a clear answer. Not just, I need a very, very, very clear answer. And then I just went to sleep and I just kind of let it go. Next morning got up went out to the mailbox my neighbor was there asked him how his day was going he said not good he said our our oldest daughter who has you know she was in head start she was the br- the brightest kid in the class from the day she started school bright as anything he said she's in the mental hospital she's been there for a week for depression and anxiety she was 16 at the time And then I I was just listening to him and he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, we're going to move back to Oregon. And I went, there it is. That's it. That's my answer. It couldn't have been clearer. Like this man is telling me that his daughter is struggling so bad. They were, they were going to move back to Oregon where they were from. And it just, just, it was like, I knew. So -hmm. then I thought, well, how am I going to do this? What do I do now? So that night I called my best friend in Oregon and she said to me, look, like she was originally from Brazil and she, she was very intelligent. And she said, I lived, I grew up with lots of friends and family and I didn't live at home with my mom because she wanted to be a dentist. And so they were always She was living home. She said in Brazil, we do this all the time. She's like, just send him down, send him down. End of eighth grade, see how he does. You know, what, what, what do you have to lose? Nothing. And, you know, her son is my son's best friend and there was a younger brother. So long story short, he ends up moving down there. You know, her boyfriend ends up moving in with his son. So there's four boys in the house, four teenage boys, I mean, he was just, he just had a ball. He absolutely was in his glory. He loved living there. I ended up getting a little tiny condo down there. I spent about half time there and half time up in in Seattle. And it was very unconventional. And, you know, the easiest thing for me to have done, Brandy, would have been to say, well, you know, this this whole thing's going to make me look like a bad mom. I'm sending Mm -hmm. my kids six hours away for high school. What are the neighbors going to think? What are my friends going to think they're going to, but you know what? I, I couldn't, I had enough courage in me, you know, that had been developed over all those years to say, Hey, I know what's best for me. I know what's best for my husband, my son, and I'm not going to apologize for my behavior, my decisions. This is what I'm doing. And I, it's not like I went out there. I didn't announce it on Facebook. I didn't tell the whole world, but if I ran into someone at the grocery store, I would just say. Very naturally. Oh, by the way, Will's. Uh, we've decided that he need. You know, he was really unhappy here. This was not a good environment for him. So he's down in Oregon for high school. And again, I never had one person question me. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe I missed the signals. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I missed. But you know, I think when you're so intentional and you're not worried about what other people think, I think that you are really truly free. If you think about it, if I'm making decisions based on what and I, based on what other people other people's approval, am I free? No. I mm-hmm. am not even free. I'm in a freaking cage. I'm in a cage. So we all need to and I think as women in particular, you know, we are naturally naturally want to help others. That's just part of not all of us, but a lot of us. And so we end up being that chameleon. Like a lot of women are chameleons. They're one person with this person. They're Mm. another person with this person to make everybody feel at ease. But guess what? When you're a chameleon, nobody really knows you. You can't have deep, authentic connections. Other people can sense it. Like when you're not authentic, Other people can sense that there's something off about you, doesn't feel right. The energy doesn't feel right. When you're hundred percent authentic, people are happy. Like they're like this person, this person's energy feels really good. I like being around this person because they're comfortable with themselves. And so, you know, it's not like I pushed that information out there. I just kind of let it get out naturally and didn't worry about what other people thought. And it's such a beautiful way to live. It's such a beautiful way to live when you can just make decisions that are right for you. You're totally free when you don't care what other people think. And as women, that's why I started She's Brave. I mean, yes, you know, I think people think it's about women jumping out of planes, you know, <laughs> climbing Mount Everest. I'm like, yeah, it can be. I mean, that's obviously a part of being brave, but for me, bravery is so much more than that. And what it is more than anything else is the courage to be yourself.
0: I love that. And it's so true. It's so true. Like you helped me see that I'm brave. Cause I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm brave. And I'm like, I am absolutely brave. Like you yeah. had to be brave because yeah, you you have a couple choices when life gives you circumstances. You do have options. Like you can check out, you can leave, you can wallow in self-pity, you know, you can commiserate and people will listen because you deserve to be just bummed out, right? You deserve to be devastated. But when you choose to be brave and you choose to live the life that you have, that's where it's at.
1: Yeah, you know, I had another friend in Eugene, actually, whose husband was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease around the same time my husband was diagnosed. And we are still like ridiculously close friends to this very day because we were on a similar journey in that we had sons around the same age and both of us lost our husbands and they both had incurable diseases that there was no treatment for. And she and I look at the world a little bit differently than most people, because one thing we've realized is that that most people just kind of assume that they're going to live to be 90 and they're going to be perfectly healthy, you know, or 80 or whatever. Right. Like, okay. And so I'm going to go travel or I'm going to, I'm going to write that book or I'm going to start that podcast. I'm going to do that 10 or 20 years from now. And my thing is don't wait because, you know, it doesn't even have to be death. It could be disability. It could be, who knows, but like, do the thing you want to do and do it now because life is precious. And, you know, that 22 year marriage with my husband went by in the blink of an eye on the one hand, but on the other, I also realized how precious life was and that I wasn't going to waste a minute. I like, I'm not going to waste a minute. And that I'm not going to wait until he passes away to enjoy my life. Like at some point I had to move forward. So here's another unconventional thing to tell you about is yes, there was some resistance in that. I was actually feeling quite sad and, and I was kind of stuck and I was very lonely because when you're a single parent, it's super hard, but my husband's family, Two different family members came to me at two different times, sat me down. First time I wasn't ready to hear it, second time I was. And they said to me, Life is short. You're a lot younger than he is, than Bill is. And it's time for you to get your life back and have some joy in your life because we see that you're very sad and you're lonely. So, you know, why don't you try to find a companion, someone to do things with, someone to have dinner with? And you know, Bill, you're not going to hurt Bill's feelings. He doesn't know who you are anymore. You're not going to hurt him. So it's not like you're hurting anyone's feelings by doing this. It's yes, it's conventional, but please just try. So the first thing I did was join a single parent group and that was a godsend, you know. And I think as you know too, because you're an AA, but you know, the power of groups, the power of collaboration, the power of working together, it's incredible. So that kind of lifted me out and allowed me to, to, to live life more to the fullest as well. So eventually I did actually create a match profile
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I wrote my story. So again, I was hundred percent authentic. I was a hundred percent real. And I said, this is my story. You know, my husband has advanced Alzheimer's. He doesn't recognize me and I am looking for someone to do things with. And just being that authentic. Like, I thought nobody's even going to reach out to me, but that actually was not an issue. And people, you know, men, they loved my story because they said, You're so authentic. You're so honest. And you don't find that very easily these days. So I did move forward with my life. I met my next husband, Blake, who I just got remarried this summer. And you know, it's a very unconventional path. And again, I had to not worry about what other people thought. And again, I just would tell them casually if I saw them, Well, by the way, you know, I'm, I'm dating again. And again, I never had one person say to me, that's terrible, you know, <laughs> like, and Blake, he would come visit my husband with me. And, and my husband you know, they, they kind of have this in and out, they kind of go in and out with their, their consciousness. And, and he, one time he looked at me and he pointed and he said, you, and then he looked at Blake and he said, and you, and he said, good together. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he knew who we were or not, but he said that. And, you know, it was kind of like him giving his blessing, whether he even was conscious of it or not, you know? And I, I think the other thing that helped too, that that could really help, Your listeners, Brandy, is my spiritual path. I really, from the very beginning, even back in those days when I was terrified of that diagnosis, I always believed that this was my spiritual path. This might help some of your listeners, actually. Like, this is my spiritual path, and I'm just going to accept it, and I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to make the best of it, and I am going to live my life to the fullest that I can, because I think any of us on this planet of 7 billion people, we can all make every excuse in the book to not have a good day. There's plenty of opportunity for that, or we can make a decision to have a good day. It's really that simple.
0: It unfortunately is. People don't like to hear that. (laughs) There are days I don't want to hear my own message. I don't want to hear that. Yeah. Because we're in our shit and, um, it yep. absolutely like they say that if you smile, you can trick your brain yeah. into actually thinking yes, that you're feeling right. good, and right, it works. Or like fake laughing actually right. works because then you start laughing at yourself. Like, oh,
1: I you know it's so funny you're saying fake laugh laughing. I actually interviewed a Canadian woman, Lauren Tatner, a podcaster in Montreal yesterday. She's a laughter therapist, oh. and. We were just like cracking up the whole interview. Like it started with the fake laughter, but then it was just like, nah everything was like so funny. Mm-hmm. It's like
0: great. It actually works to turn your mood around. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. But you yeah. have to be willing to do the fake laugh to get the benefits of the mood turning around. You have to choose. You have to choose. You have to, choose. You have to choose to have a good day because if you're relying on everything. In the world, determining what kind of day you have, you can have some really shitty days. Yeah, because you're a decision of like, I get to decide what kind of day I'm going to have, I get to decide that I'm not going to let whatever circumstances happen, ruin my day.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. And, and also like you're giving your power away. Like, you know, if you're putting your happiness outside of yourself, you're just giving your power away. And, you know, if I, you know, my happiness is dependent on me, not on other people's opinions of me, you
0: know? And that's true all throughout your story. Like hearing that repeatedly, because I lived worried about what other people thought and I was a mess and people flipping loved me. Like I had a tribe and they loved the me beneath the mess. But I thought that it was like I was just putting on a show and showing them what I thought they wanted to see. And that was true for some of the surface people. But it's like now I just don't I just don't care what people think. I just don't. And I think that the authenticity like that's where we connect because we know that we're talking to the person that we're talking to. Like I'm not talking, you're not talking to a shell of me or a a version of me because today I just show up as myself. And that was not the case for me for a long time. I was that person that you mentioned earlier in the interview where I kind of became who I felt my partner needed at the time.
1: Yeah. And as women, I think we do that. That's part of, I think that's just almost in our DNA to adapt and accommodate. But at the end of the day. I think we're not very happy when we do that. You know, I think, I think people want to know the real authentic us. I think they do. Don't you? I
0: I didn't know the real authentic me until I did some work, like did the, you know, the spiritual searching and realized what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't outside of myself. Like I found it inside myself. And then I aligned with the things that I, that I wanted and needed outside of myself. Because mm-hmm. like you said, I became, you know, that higher vibration. I became that version of me that was actually me, like stripping away the unnecessary things. And so- yeah,
1: it's just, it's so beautiful. Like, I love the fact that you have this podcast because number one, like, let's just talk about hard stuff and put it out there so that we don't feel so alone. Like people can jump onto your podcast who are struggling with sobriety and they don't have to feel alone and it's okay. And yet you're like, you're even like, Hey, I had a relapse. Like, it's okay. It's all okay. It's all just part of the journey. Wherever you're at, let's embrace it. Let's just accept it as part of the journey that is Incredibly beautiful, you know that you're helping so many people. And today, I know I'm not, you know, your your typical guest because I didn't have the alcoholism factor in there. But I do think that we all have different kinds of coping mechanisms throughout different things, and I think that addiction is can show up in a million different ways. Which, you know, if you haven't already, you'll be having lots of conversations about how addiction shows up for me. It didn't show up as alcohol. It, what it showed up for in me was actually shopping. I had a shopping addiction for a while. And what it was is that if I could go to Nordstrom where everything is beautiful and everything is perfect and everybody's happy, I just needed that, you know, like I, or at least I, I thought that that could help me feel better, but it was always a short-term fix. It wasn't a long-term fix,
0: yeah. you know? And that's that that hole that we talked about. So for me, alcohol was just a symptom for the the hole that I had inside of me. And Mm -hmm. so for you, you know, seeking outside of yourself, like just something to feel different, something to change the way you think and feel. And that's why you totally fit the bill to be on this show because you know exactly the same pain and suffering that you know the rest of us do we just have filled it with alcohol thinking that that was our problem there's alcohol in hand sanitizer there's alcohol in cleaning agents the alcohol is just a substance it's just a symptom of that hole that hole yeah
1: yeah absolutely
0: so I feel like um I feel like you're perfect for this show because it's the life experience. Like it's that, it's that pain point and that, you know, suffering and choosing to live despite every reason not to. And I don't mean like, you know, to end your life, but I mean, you know, to not just experience life because you have a reason, you know, to live in your suffering, like,
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always a choice every day, you know, and, and I think that's what I realized, you know, I'd done all that spiritual work. And so I realized every day, you know, I know my life is not perfect, but whose life is, I mean, I think that was one thing I figured out too. There were a lot of perfect people around me where I lived, especially in Seattle, you know, but if you dig deep enough, it's, they're not perfect. If, if you think they're perfect, you just don't know about them because I'm telling you, we all have problems. And if you don't think that someone has a problem, it's just that they're not sharing that with you. You know, in mm. fact, I had a really, really amazing interview about a week ago with a former neighbor of mine in that Seattle neighborhood. Cause I actually live kind of out in the country now. And, you know, it's just interesting. Our perceptions of each other, you know, and, and she, I mean, I wasn't very emotionally available. Well, I thought she had the perfect life. So I did. I just thought, you know, she's lovely. She's a beautiful person, but her life is perfect. Come to find out she was married to a narcissistic abuser for 20 years and the company that supposedly she and her husband had built, she built it a hundred percent herself. And he was just constantly saying, work more, be more, do more, get me more money so I can buy a nicer car. It was just, and then, you know, I had no idea what was really going on with her. And I think every day we wake up, we have a choice. And that's what I realized with my husband, like life is not perfect. He's declining with Alzheimer's. At some point he did have to go into a care home. And, but, you know, I still have my life. So how am I going to live it today? Am I going to cry? Yes. Sometimes maybe. Sure. But, 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 you know, on other days, You know, my son and I are are going to go do something fun today, you know, or we're, we're going to take a trip like the trips really helped us. And, you know, I'm not even just, I'm just, I'm talking about going to Grand Canyon. It could be, it could be overseas. It could be local. It could be an hour away, but I feel like sometimes taking a trip or getting yourself out of your home, out of your environment allows you to be someone else for a little while and take a break from the hardness of it.
0: Yeah. I'm a firm believer in definitely just that I feel like that stuff feeds our soul like that just reminds us that what's immediately around us isn't all there is.
1: Right. And I think that's why we did quite a bit of of trips because we needed that reminder that there was a whole life out there beyond just my husband's illness and that, you know, I just want to make that choice every day. Because none of us are ever going to have a perfect life. As much as we love podcasting every day, there are problems, right? Like there's issues, there's problems, but so are we going to make it a good day and we're going to embrace it and love podcasting and not worry about it? Or are we going to fixate on the problems? Or Are we going to fixate on the solutions, right?
0: Yep. And that's my biggest thing is solution-based living, right? Mm-hmm. Because problems are always there. So I've learned to see them as opportunities to grow. And you and I were having, you know, a a non-recorded conversation about just that. Like there are these challenges in life and I can look at it and just go, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming. I'm so screwed. Or I can just go like, this is teaching me so much. There is so much I'm going to learn from this. And I'm still,
1: and that's That's such a. Such a great reminder. And that's really what I was doing throughout my process too. Like I would say to myself, this is my spiritual path, which was my way of saying, this is teaching me so much.
0: Yeah. yeah. And the path is ongoing and I visualize the path. So for people that are not familiar with the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> those of us that are, I feel are very blessed. Like I never thought about the Pacific Northwest before I moved there. But now when I picture my path, I can actually see a path. I can actually see trees and I can see that I can't see beyond like the steps in front of me, but I can hear a creek and like, it's very interesting because it's, you don't know what's coming, you know, from Bend and you know, like I walk with my little dog and she's dog aggressive. So there was like that fear of like, oh gosh, if I go this way, is there going to be 10 dogs that are off leash? It's like, you know, it's the unknown, but it's taking the steps and taking in like the beauty along the way, despite the fact that there might be obstacles because it's a path. So you just yeah. walk it as yeah. it unfolds. <laughs> yeah.
1: And every day's a gift.
0: It really is. I have all those little magnets on my fridge. Like, you know, to, uh, today I choose joy and every day is a gift. And those used to just be things that held up pictures. But now, like, I embody those things today. Like, I fully believe that every day is a gift.
1: Yeah, it's so beautiful. That's why I'm so glad that you're doing this. Like, your message is so needed in the world. And I, I, because there are, there are so many people in the world that struggle with alcohol addiction or any kind of addiction, like what we talked about, we're all dealing with, with things. And I think that we need to know that we're not alone, that we can get through this. And, you know, that's like one of my big messages too. ask for help, you know, and, and, and that help can be, you know, like, that's why I like to tell a couple of different angles because, you know, looking, asking for help can, can, in many, many different ways that we can ask for help, right?
0: Yeah. Family, you know, support groups, therapy. And then, you know, the big one is getting to the point where you get on your knees and you absolutely mean it and just saying, I need help. And it is amazing what comes from that. Like that is so powerful because you don't question the answer. You don't go, oh, well, is that? You're like, nope, thank you. That is exactly what I needed to hear. And that happens to me more and more often the more I walk the path.
1: Yeah, I was going to say there's something magical in the surrender, like, like you know, in your case, you know, you know, hitting the rock bottom and being like, I have nowhere to go, so I have to surrender. And basically for me, you know, in that question of, you know, what should I do in, in this parenting decision? And- just feeling like I was backed in a corner. Like, I don't know what the answer is. So I'm going to surrender this. I'm going to surrender this to God, to a higher power and let go. And it's just like, that's really where the magic happens.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I love the work that you do. If people haven't listened to your podcast, um, it's just a series of brave women. And it's not, like you said, it's not the bravery of, you know, doing the adrenaline things, but it's the life things like it's brave to show up for your life. It's brave to show up and talk to these people and get their story out there. So I love that we get to be here and we get to hold this space. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I feel like yeah. hope is the message.
0: Like there's hope, there's life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my podcast is called she's brave with Christina Driscoll, Christina with a K. And I also have a website it's www.she'sbravepodcast.com. You can also find me on Instagram at she's brave podcast. You can also find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook group.
0: She's brave Podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Christina. And I'm sure this will not be the last time we do this. Uh, Yeah, no,
1: you and I, we just look at the world the same way. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again. Thanks, Brandy.
0: I want to thank you so much for listening. Christina is such a bright, shining light. The way she walks through life is just beautiful. I cannot imagine being faced with what she's walked through And she does it with such grace. We don't have to run at things head on. We can walk through them gently and give ourselves space and give ourselves time to figure out what we need. And Christina is a perfect example of that. Please take time after listening to rate and review this episode or the podcast in general through Apple or Spotify. And just a reminder that if you're struggling with alcoholism, with addiction, you're not alone. A lot of us have been there and it seems hopeless, but I'm here to tell you that there is another way. There is hope on the other side. So just, just keep going. And if you're feeling like nobody wants to hear it, I can promise you there are people like me that do. You can find me on Facebook at brandy kelly or you can join the silver bartender podcast facebook group it's called the sober bartender and you can find me on instagram at the silver bartender podcast and i am so thankful that you are here and listening today until next time